0: You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. We would like to thank all our listeners for their support. Um, Please subscribe to our uh, podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on, be it uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anything like that. You can look for Armchair Cricket Podcast, and you should be able to find us quite easily on any of these platforms. Um, Do not forget to leave us a rating, preferably a five-star rating, and also share your feedback in the comment section. You can reach out to us by email with your feedback on armchair.cricket at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter handle. Our Twitter handle is at armchaircrickpod. You can join us there for a banter whenever there is a match ongoing. Uh, It should be fun. We also have a Facebook page. Uh, You can find a link to this in our description uh, below. Uh, we regularly post quizzes and posts uh, on Twitter as well as on Facebook. So you can, uh, you know, participate and uh, have some fun. Um, having said that, I would like to welcome uh, my co-host Ajit. Hi Ajit, how are you
1: doing? Hello Giri. good evening. I'm doing good. How about you?
0: Fine as well. Uh, hectic uh, work, uh, work week this, uh, this time around and uh, just, you know, settling down for the weekend. Um, yeah there's a lot of things going on in cricket world right now especially with the IPL Um, but you know we we try to follow IPL as much as I can but I think it's uh, it's sometimes a bit too much for me because it's every day right so yeah
1: yeah look I mean uh, we can't always you know expect to keep following all the matches well we do Mm -hmm. for most Mm -hmm. of it but at least uh, this becomes a bit of a you know uh, too much of a touring uh, you know Circus Mm -hmm. or some such at some (laughs) point in time for me. So I have to switch off. So when possible, I'll listen to some gorilla cricket commentary or something. I can't watch the matches. But, well, there were a couple of interesting matches this week. I think we can get into it shortly. Mm -hmm. So before we go into that, let's quickly look at the trivia question from the last week. So the trivia question from last week was, uh, who is the fastest bowler in men's ODI cricket to get to 100 ODI wickets? So we had a couple of uh, attempts at answering this question by our friends online, but nobody got the answer right. That was a bit of a surprise. I had a guess. Uh, I saw a guess, I think, which was Vasimakram. Somebody guessed Vasimakram. Somebody else uh, guessed Mitchell Stark. The Mitchell Stark one was a very close one because Mitchell Stark is the second fastest mm-hmm. with 52 matches. But the player who did it in just 44 matches and indeed is currently the fastest to get to 100 ODI wickets is the Afghanistani leg spinner, Rashid Khan. You know, we call him ODI GOAT, or greatest of all time, right? Mm-hmm. So this guy is a certified great in short format cricket. And really to achieve 100 ODI wickets in a matter of 44 matches at more than, you know, you could almost say two and a half wickets a match. This is this is mm-hmm. quite an enormous achievement. Mm-hmm. look he may have played initially many of his matches against afghanistan and uh, before afghanistan but against ireland and some of the lesser uh, you know uh, mm-hmm. famous or lesser strong odi teams but that really doesn't take away anything from his achievement because he yeah. also represents an equally upcoming nation right yeah
0: yeah
1: and if you look at if you look at his record i mean it's it's really an envious one because um, he has if you look at the number of five fours he has for example in one days mm-hmm. right that really shows his pedigree. So he has four five fours and four four fours. And his best is seven for eighteen. And the most stark thing about this, or the most starkly visible thing about it, is he has his average is 15. 15 wow. runs a wicket. Wow. That that is what I'm talking about at an economy of 3.9. So when you couple all this, right. now right now he stands at 123 wickets from just 57 matches. Mm-hmm. He was a, a star also in the recent uh, one day series that they played against uh, Ireland right in uh, mm. India that we discussed mm. in the previous episodes mm. when you look at all this I mean this is still a very enviable record any any team would love to have him as their you know strike bowler and he's he's only 20 years old let's not forget well, that uh, <laughs> it might be an afridi 20 at least people laugh at it online no. right? it might be an Afridi like 20 but look For me, it doesn't matter for you or any one of us. Age is just a number, right? These people, the people from this part of the world are very strong. Ms. Baulak has shown it, Afridi has shown it, right? Mm. So age is just a number there and they get on with it. And uh, he could, you know, he could very well stand to break every ODI bowling record there is.
0: Yeah, he's He's a true match winner uh, in any case. I think he wins matches for them with his bowling. Exactly. Uh, and he's also, you know, he's not he's no mug with a bat. So, he also contributes with a bat. So, he's, he's really a very good player for Afghanistan. And someone to, you know, uh, look out for in this uh, World Cup. I think mm-hmm. he's going to make a difference in their team. Indeed. He's already doing that, of course. So I think it, it will probably be more pronounced when we see him play in uh, the prestigious tournament.
1: Exactly. I mean, he'll want to make a splash because it's the first Odea World Cup his team is playing. He'll want to make an impact there. And also, not to forget... Because of his, uh, you know, T20 exploits all over the world, yeah. Some of these conditions might not be really unique to him, or they might yeah. not be completely really new. He, he would say, "Well, we've played here. I've played here." So he might even use his a bit of his experience to help his teammates and sh- lead the from the front, you know.
0: And he might also know how a certain batsman plays, you know, with with exactly. uh, with his T20 experience that he has around the world. I think uh, he's probably. <laughs> I think he's better prepared than uh, many of his uh, countrymen.
1: Of course, yeah, yeah. you know him and Mohan Nabi probably lead the way there. They they mm. they played with some of these other big stars from the other teams, and maybe they have some you know tips and tricks for their teammates. Cool. So yeah. when we discussed it last week, we went into it right. They as a yeah. team, they may not fare well, but you never know. With these people in the team, they may cause enough headaches for the opposition that you know some of these matches might go down to the wire, right? Yeah, and some teams might choke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I said, I was a bit over the top optimistic. But, I mean, I'll still stick to that, right? Uh, let's see. Let's see what uh, the World Cup has to bring for Afghanistan. But all in all, they're a very exciting team. And this guy leads is the spear tip, so to say. Right? Yeah. yeah. Going into the World Cup. All right. Now, let's move to the next section. Let's look at some of the, you know, IPL highlights. So, here uh le- we are really not interested in discussing every match we are not interested in we are we are not really going into match by match situation of the ipl because as we sort of discussed we are still uh, test match fans but mm-hmm. there are some very interesting events that we put it would be amiss on our part if we did not discuss this this was some of the feedback our listeners and our friends uh, from all over the world they also pointed out that it we would be amiss if you we were to not pick up on these points right they yeah. have sort of some impact also in the uh, bigger cricketing mm. you know, scene. Mm. So, let's go through some of these. So, two of these events today, so we have three such events. So, two of these would be related to the munkard dismissal. Right? So, would you like to introduce the first one, Giri, or shall I? I think maybe I'll do it. You do so, it, yeah. uh, So, we know that, you know, uh, in the match versus uh, Rajasthan Royals, mm. right? Ashwin munkarded um, uh, Joss Butler, right? As a result of that, uh, this meant that, uh, well, he changed the course of the match. Let's first talk about it that way, that mm-hmm. for him to actually munket Butler, who was sort of backing up. So in this, in the, you know, in the rules of the cricket, he was right. Ashwin was right to run out or monkered Butler. So first of all, what is munketing? You know, I think all our friends know about it. But if I were to just quickly discuss what munketing is, munketing is running the batsman out on the non-striker by a bowler who decides that the batsman is trying to take an undue advantage by backing up too far before the ball is delivered, right? If the Mm -hmm. batsman is run out on the bowler's end by a bowler, who, before he delivers the ball, realizes that the uh, batsman is taking an undue advantage, is running too far or backing Mm. up too far, he can run the batsman out. So this is sort of, this falls under the spirit of the cricket thing, rather than, you know, the rule says he can run out. He can run the batsman out. So, Mm. But in this case, when you look at the replay of what happened, right? Yeah. It, it was clear that Joss Butler was really not looking to take advantage of uh, by running too far up ahead or backing up too far. But yeah. mm-hmm. you know, Ashwin seemed to run him out. This this seemed instinctive, he says. So Ashwin's this uh, uh, you know point is he was it was this instinctive. He was running up mm-hmm. to the crease and he saw that Joss Butler was out of the crease and he ran him out. What do you yeah. think?
0: well <laughs> well it was instinctive on his part that's what he said uh, ashwin but if you look at the replays i think we saw it a few times already um ashwin i think had no intention of delivering that ball um mm-hmm. he he ran up to the crease you know he took his leap and then in the middle of his leap or even before his leap he was looking at butler and how far he was you know out of his crease or whether he already stepped out of the crease um and just ran him off i think Ashwin probably had planned this out but uh it although he says it was instinctive uh i think he i don't know if he is being fully truthful about it uh, but if that's what he says fine that's his opinion he's entitled to his opinion but it was not in my in my eyes i don't think it was uh, instinctive at all i think it was preplanned and um yeah and and i think ashwin is this is not the first time that ashwin has tried this uh, right, I think the, you mentioned offline about uh, Ashwin trying to run out another batsman. I don't know which uh-huh. batsman it was in the past. And then uh, his captain then, uh, he, this was when he was playing for Indian cricket team, Indian ODI team. Uh-huh. His captain was, uh, in fact, Virendra Sehwag, who so was standing in for Dhoni. Yeah. Uh, and Sehwag actually withdrew the appeal, right? So it, saying it was not within the spirit of the game. Um, exactly.
1: So what do you think about this? Do you see it the same way as I do? Well, I mean, you sort of covered... What I would want to say as well, it did look like there was there may be some amount of thinking about it beforehand. Mm. So there are enough circumstantial evidences to point out that you know the way mm. he came up to bowl and he, he may have noticed it a couple of balls before, but the gentlemanly thing about it would have been to warn Butler. But when you look at what happened, if Ashwin were to deliver normally, it it looked like um, mm-hmm. you know um Maybe he was sort of already giving a warning to Butler would have made sense, but yeah. this guy sort of waited. <laughs> so if you look at MCC's ruling on this, if you were to go back, on 27th of uh, March, I think MCC gave a ruling saying that yeah. this was probably not within the spirit of cricket. But the spirit of cricket is always open to interpretation, right? So nobody can give a definite ruling on it because it happened in the moment and it's it, we have to move on from it. So... On 26th, MCC said this was within the spirit of cricket rolling. Then they sort of went back on it just a day after that on 27th. And they said, Ashwin probably pause too long. And mm-hmm. therefore, it does not fall within the spirit of cricket. The yeah. dismissal. But the point is, it it happened. Right. And spirit of cricket is not something that can be ruled upon. It is something that people can give an opinion mm-hmm. on. So mm-hmm. even the manager from MCC, the person who sort of gave an interview about it, said the law 41.16 which is the spirit of cricket law, said that, I'd rather not go into the law, let's skip this part, but I would only say that, according to them, Ashwin claimed it was instinctive, and they said, well, it could be instinctive, but according to them, Butter was not taking undue advantage. So MCC themselves did a flip, two days, within two days, right? And then they say that, maybe it was uh, not the most savourable, you know, incident in international cricket for them. But he has set a precedent now. Uh, no, he has not. Well, I can tell you this guy is a repeat offender if I may use this word. Because mm-hmm. you are absolutely right. In 2012, Parana Vitana was the Sri Lankan batsman. Mm-hmm. And he ran him out. And then his skipper uh, was Shavag. And I think it was more Sachin Tendulkar who sort of was vehement that maybe they shouldn't continue with the appeal. And Shavag listened to the senior pro in the mm-hmm. team and mm-hmm. withdrew his appeal. Right? And then I think the umpires also sort of with the body language were indicating, do you really want this appeal to go on? If you look at that incident, there are uh, replays of this available on YouTube. Maybe we can post it also in our episode notes or tweet it mm. out on Twitter or you know, put it out on Twitter or tweet it out. So, mm. for example, um, the, you were recalling another incident offline, weren't, it? So, weren't you? So, it was this um, Kapil Dev who sort of gave a warning.
0: I us. think he gave two yeah. warnings uh, I see. to I Peter see. Kirsten. It probably was not in the same match. I think I was ah. watching this uh, panel talk uh, by uh, Ajay Jadaija mm-hmm. uh, the other day and then he was mentioning this. That Ajay Jadeja was also part of the team then, uh, which toured uh, South Africa back in 91-92, um, and apparently Kapil Dev had given them a, given Peter Kirsten a warning two times in the previous two matches or something like that, and then the coach back then, uh, I think it was Ajit Wadekar, if I'm not wrong, um, mm-hmm. he, he, th- this was already discussed in the team meeting before Kapil ran him out. So Kapil right. was initially not interested to do this. He said, it's not good. It's not within the spirit of the game. I don't want to do this.
1: Yep.
0: But they were insistent, uh, saying that, no, uh, this is, you know, he's kind of a repeat offender. He's leaving his crease way too early. And you should warn him. And they warned him two times. And then the third time, uh, Kapil actually ran him out. So it kind of set a precedent back then. Uh, but I don't think any, not a, a lot of players uh, actually tried this afterwards mm-hmm. and it's only resurfaced now with uh, you know with uh, with uh, ravichandra nashwin um, mm-hmm. he has a bit i think he's he's more talented with his bowling than with these things uh, right. he yeah he, he he's also very eloquent the way mm-hmm. he, you know uh, handles this and I, yes. I i have to mention one more thing matthew hayden said if you uh, if you are ready to do these kinds of things you should also have a very thick skin so, mm-hmm. he, he won't mm-hmm. care, I guess. He won't care at the no, end of the won't. day. No, he won't. So, he will probably do it again, given the chance. Uh, but on this occasion, he was the captain of the team. So, no one else could withdraw the appeal, you know, on on his behalf. So, so the the, the appeal was from the captain and, and it basically stuck. And then, uh, Joss Butler was out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. So Well, I mean, if yeah. you were
1: to look at the, some, one such other event, this was in the 87 World Cup where Walsh, You know, I was looking up this highlights on YouTube at some other point in time. And I remember this, that Walsh, in that it was a crucial match between Pakistan and West Indies. And uh, Salim Jafar, the uh, Pakistani batsman, was sort of backing up. So Walsh comes in to deliver the ball, but he just stands there. Mm. And he just looks at the batsman. He doesn't run (laughs) him out, but that's his way of warning him. And after that, I think, you know, they moved on that uh, Salim Jafar would not do that again, right? So there are different ways in which, you know, you could, you could have handled the situation, Ashwin, but he chose to run him out. This is fine, right? Yeah, yeah. And then um, there are other instances also, as you said, but it, it always leaves a bad uh, taste in the mouth because Joss Butler himself was once run out by a Sri Lankan player, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, in a one-day air. And it was also a very crucial point in time. It was in 2016 or 2017, if I remember, in one day. Josh Butler himself was run out by a Sri Lankan player, and then that led to probably England losing the match or some such. So it's always sort of one of those, you know, even though it sort of is governed by the spirit of cricket, it it is very open to interpretation. For example, in today's match, Mm -hmm. uh, I think Krunal Pandya had a chance to run out uh, today's IPL match, I meant, right? Today's IPL match between Kings 11 Punjab and Mumbai Indians right? Mm-hmm. I think Runal Pandya had a chance to run out uh, Mayanka Garwal. But I think he chose to warn Mayanka Garwal rather than run him out. This was mm-hmm. happening in the 10th hour of the match. And mm-hmm. it, it sort of the match was on the nice edge. Uh, there, if Mayanka Garwal would have been dismissed because KL Rahul was not really able to bat really well, I think that would have put a lot of pressure on uh, mm-hmm. King Sullivan's batting. But then I think Runal Pandya did the right thing and just warned him. And then that's they moved on from that. Right? Yeah. So sometimes yeah. this is the right approach, you feel. But look for me mm-hmm. as long as it is a part of the game if some player were to take advantage of it you can't really blame that player it it can be called gamesmanship at worst yeah. but it's still within the rules of the law yeah, right? yeah 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 that's what that's how it happens actually so yeah. as a result mm-hmm. uh, you would say you, you can't blame the player there so yeah, yeah.
0: i think it it it, it uh, in the heat of the moment thing i think this is one of those uh, and we, we i think we probably should move on because it's it's a quite spicy topic and we'll, we we can talk about it for you know hours at length um, so there was one other incident i think there's another highlight which uh-huh. took our uh, you know which which basically came into our attention uh, was the no ball uh, so, RCB were playing this match against uh, Mumbai Indians at uh, Bangalore. Uh-huh. And um, RCB lost out. Uh, they, it was a very close game. And uh, AB De Villiers was still there till the end. But they lost out by a very small margin, like 5 or 6 runs. The, the talking point here was that the last delivery, which was, uh, I think, bowled by... Was it bumbra No, it was not... No, Dubai. no, Malinga. It was... It was Malinga. Malinga, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, It was Malinga. And the last delivery that Malinga bowled was a no-ball. Uh, and the umpire, on-field umpire, uh, Mr. Sundaram Ravi, did not take notice of this. Um, it, it was, uh, RCB needed something like six or seven runs of the last ball, and then they couldn't get a boundary or a six out of that. And the, the, the player shook hands and then walk off, walked off the field, only to realize or, that mm-hmm. it was a no ball. I think it was probably showed on the giant screens that it was a no ball, but because the ball was dead, you know, the, the players had walked off the field, uh, it could not be uh, reversed. So that was, that was the end of the match. And uh, Virat Kohli, the captain of RCB, uh, expressed his displeasure uh, of not using technology when it's available, like the third umpire overruling this, uh, you know, uh, on-field mm-hmm. decision without actually needing a prompt right. uh, from the on-field umpires. So I think Kohli was not pleased at all. He, he was quite vocal about his, uh, you know, uh, his unhappiness about the way this was handled. Um, but in the end, you know, it's it's an umpiring error. So, you, are you a fan of this? You know, using technology preemptively?
1: Yes. I mean, frankly speaking, the, both the captains were critical. I think Rohit Sharma also yeah. felt, you know, a third umpire's intervention could have made the match more exciting. You know, as you said, with six balls, uh, six runs to win of the last ball, a single was bunted. That meant, you know, a sing, um, that would have been two runs, so no ball and a single. So, mm. that would have bought. David is <laughs> back on strike with one yeah. ball and four runs to win. That would have been a fantastic finish to the match, right? That's one thing. Mm. But if you look at it from a, just a ruling perspective or how rules can help, if there's a third umpire who can look at these things and all he has to do is prompt his colleague who's on the field. Sundaram Ravi might have missed it in the heat of the moment. Look, even Sundaram Ravi is under pressure on that ball because it's a crucial ball, isn't it? So yeah. maybe he missed out. So if he were to move on from that, uh, the third umpire could have simply quickly told him Wait, 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 don't call it end of the over. That's all he had to do. I'm reviewing mm-hmm. the third, I'm reviewing the you know, no ball call, wait, wait. Don't call it end of the, so, you know, when the guy is giving the cap, the umpire is giving the cap mm-hmm. and calling the end of the match and removing the bails, if that was prevented, it could have still been in play. The ball would have been yeah. in play, the match would, could have gone out. That's all was required. So, in these situations, mm-hmm. maybe uh, taking common sense into account, if the third umpire were to intervene, as you say, proactively or mm. preemptively it would help and maybe the, des- the decision would not have gone against Mumbai Indians or maybe Bangalore would not have won the match I mean I'm mm. as much of a fan of Bangalore as I was I am in this case mm-hmm. right we have enough memes these days you know the yeah, yeah. meme about uh, Elityapa Pa Nikhil, <laughs> Nikhil has yeah. now been uh, uh, disabused <laughs> anywho coming back to this Look, the way Bangalore had come back into this match probably really made it really uh, sort of, um, they had left a bad taste in their mouth and made mm-hmm. them very angry. They were sort of dead and buried with 61 runs mm-hmm. of 30 balls. ABD Williams brought them back into the match yeah. and they finished it off. So hence yeah. this frustration from Kohli is how I look at yeah, it. Yeah,
0: but, but one more I think, thing. I mean, uh, this no ball, uh, I think they should probably make it uh, you know a, a normal uh, procedure. Uh, for you know, to, to have the third empire review every delivery, I don't know how much time it takes and how much of the resources they need to use. It, no, it, does, it not just talking much. about the context of IPL, but also world cricket in general. Okay. Um, how difficult would it be to just review a delivery because they now do it whenever the umpire is not sure, uh, the mm-hmm. on field umpire is not sure after a dismissal. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why not do it every delivery?
1: Agreed. So, look, this is exactly a discussion I read online on Twitter where Dean Jones packed this exact theory what you put forward. So, Dean uh, Dean Jones said, take the no-ball call out of the on-field umpire's hands. No-ball of the front foot. Let the um, umpire concentrate on looking at where the ball is going, LBWs, other things, right? Mm. Let the third umpire, let him always look at the foot of the bowler that is delivering. Let him not do anything else. Because the third umpire does nothing else. He comes into call only after the event for everything else, correct? Yeah. Make him responsible for a no-ball call. Simple. Yeah. This is yeah. what Dean Jones felt on Twitter. And I sort of agree with him. This might be the way we might be moving forward. But on the other hand, if the powers that be are not comfortable about completely removing the third umpire's uh, or maybe the, the on-feed umpire's role, mm-hmm. why don't you introduce something like what is done in Wimbledon or one of those uh, tennis venues where there is a beep every time the ball crosses. the I mean, the ball does not land in the right area. Right. So let there be a loud beep. Mm-hmm. Then that's enough. Let the on-field umpire concentrate on what's going to happen when the ball is going to come in contact with the mm-hmm. batsman or is yeah. going to pass the batsman, right? Yeah. Let there be a loud beep, then the batsman knows. The concept of a no ball, historically, is that the umpire is supposed to call it out loud so that the batsman is able to take advantage of that ball. Mm. You could still do it in multiple ways. So yeah, I think, up- you, up- yeah. S- I think
0: you hit yeah. the nail right on the head there. Uh, uh-huh. This should be looked at, uh, you know, for for the long term as well, uh, for the betterment of the game. I think we have the technology, why not use it, right? So shall mm-hmm. we move on to the other topic then, Ajit? I think yes, we spent shall- quite a bit of time, <laughs> more than we actually planned on IPL, because I think was, these were very, uh, I think, key issues as well, not just mm-hmm. um, an off event. but uh, okay. uh, let, Let's move on to the uh, ODI series that was played between... Uh, Pakistan and uh, Australia. So they, mm-hmm. we, while, between our previous episode and this episode, there were three ODIs mm-hmm. that were played. Um, the first one at Sharjah, the next one at Abu Dhabi, and the latest one was at Dubai.
1: Right.
0: Um, Australia were leading 1-0 at the beginning of the series, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they basically won the next three ODIs as well. So now they lead the series by four games to zero, four matches to zero, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the last one to play for. Um, um, so at Sharjah, Australia won by four wickets with three overs to spare. Uh, Pakistan had set them a target of 284 runs um, yeah. with help from uh, Mohamed Rizwan, who is standing in for uh, Safra's Ahmad mm-hmm. as the keeper batsman. So he scored a century. Um, so uh, Australia made uh, you know uh, short work of that. They were quite good with their batting. In the next match, Abu Dhabi, um, Australia set a kind of a modest target of 267 um and were able to defend that uh, with a lot of ease so so pakistan was not there uh, in the end the batting did not click mm-hmm. in the latest that was played at dubai um Shoaib malik who was actually standing in for uh sarfra Zama, the captain was out injured so uh, imad wasim was uh, you know uh, he played he, he uh, took on the captain's role um Australia set a target, batting mm-hmm. first of 278 runs, Right. and uh, Pakistan were, you know, uh, agonizingly short, short towards the end. They, they fell short by six runs
1: mm-hmm. in
0: spite of twin centuries by a 31-year-old debutant, uh, uh, Abid Ali, and uh, Muhammad Rizwan scoring his second century of this series. So it was very agonizing in the end for Pakistan, but Australia were able to defend uh, a score of uh, 278 runs. And in the end, four zero. That's it. Uh, everything yeah. to play for. nothing to play for in the last ODI, but it's just pure match practice, I guess. Before well, pride. I think
1: Pakistan will not want to lose this match uh, so that they don't give up a whitewash final. And mm. Australia will definitely want to focus on this. So mm. there is an interesting article already on Cricket Info where uh, Maxwell Glenn Maxwell is saying how important winning final is for oh. Australia because they're really on the upsurge. So, if you look at it, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. they're more like uh, it's been such an upsurge that they, they might win eight matches on the bounce, right, if they take the last mm-hmm. match. Mm-hmm. And also, multiple parts of Australian cricket team are clicking. The opening conundrum is solved very mm-hmm. nicely, right? Mm-hmm. It, you can't think of anybody else opening for Australia in the World Cup now except Juan no. Quaja and Aaron Finch, right? Yes. I was listening to it, and Aaron Finch, with his 359 runs before the fourth ODI already, made him the most successful captain in a bilateral ODI series in the history of Australian cricket one day cricket, right? So it's fantastic so he sort of nailed on his form going into the World Cup and then Usman Khwaja has sort of more or less made sure he'll be the opener going into the World Cup because he has enough pedigree and enough technique right? So that way we can make sure that um, Australia are not having too many things up in the air when they are going to play the final round of matches right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's one thing So, the other thing, well, for me, uh, the crucial point was also how Mohamed Rizwan, the stand-up or the stand-in keeper, right, Mm -hmm. has done. He scored two hundreds. So, well, we can just look at the last match a bit more in detail, the fourth one, because it was a real disappointment. For me, the first two matches, uh, Pakistan were looking to defend a total. They failed to do that. Where, I mean, there was quite a lot of discussion points where uh, if you go into it in detail, it will take a lot of time. So, let's not do that. But... uh, If you were to look at it, some of uh, Shoaib Malik's captaincy came in for a bit of criticism.
0: Mm.
1: There there was not enough spontaneity that people felt it was all planned out by the coach and him in a meeting and he sort of was executing it. There was not enough, you know, uh, creativity there. That was one of the things. But always, I would credit Shoaib Malik as a very creative captain. That was sort of missing, maybe, you know. The other thing here, uh, what Glenn Maxwell is able to deliver, right, Uh, He's always delivering in all of these matches, Uh, so he made 71 in the fourth match and 98 in the fifth match. He was really unlucky to miss out on 100 on both those matches. And the lower middle order of Australia is sort of beginning to click. Stoinis has had a very quiet sort of tour, but uh, Carey and Maxwell have always made sure Australia finished strongly. They finish on 260 plus or 270 plus in the fourth and the fifth match and they defend it. So their bowling is coming through beautifully. The spin twins, Lion and Zamp are working really well. Mm Right And up front, Nathan coulter nile had a very good match, both fourth and fifth matches. Mm -hmm. So all of these are really nice for Australia. So as I said, multiple parts are clicking in. For Pakistan, I think they missed uh, Shoaib Malik in the fourth match because with, you know, 60 runs required of 53 balls and two Centurions at the crease, from Mm -hmm. that point to lose it, that was very unfortunate and very sad to see that because Umar Akmal Saad Ali, Imad Vaseem, were the people, the middle and the lower middle orders, were supposed to take it through? And one of those centurions had to stay. So they both got out very close to each other. That was not good, right? But Abid Ali, who debuted in the fourth match, scored 100 on debut. So that was very well done to him. So, uh, But overall, I think Pakistan will want to take a hard look at what's going wrong here. But they have more matches coming up. That's why this is like a B team. We already discussed this in the previous uh, episode. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, they'll not want to give up a final victory to Australia with all the boxes of Australian players getting ticked and all the things that they wanted to sort out, more or less getting sorted out. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's all to play for, I would say. You're right. right? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, If you want to move on, uh, we can look at uh, our next most important, uh, let's say, section here. So this is the World Cup uh, 2019 preview. So as we already do it, we bring one new team and we discuss their chances and their team and so on. So in today's episode, we would like to look at the Bangladesh team, right? So in the previous episode, we already discussed about uh, Afghanistan. So when we look at Bangladesh quickly, well, I mean, Bangladesh has been a sort of a very mercurial team, right? Over the last couple of years or so, their ODI team is growing in maturity and we can see that, right? But if you want to look at their ODI performances uh, in the World Cups, so I'll just quickly highlight some of their numbers and some of their achievements and whatnot. So they have played in five World Cups so far. They have played every World Cup from 1999, right? So basically, if I were to just take a quick look at their performances in each World Cup, right? So in the 99 World Cup, they were led by Aminul Islam. They played five matches. They won two and lost three. And then in the 2003 World Cup, this is probably the most disappointing World Cup for them because they played under Khalid Mashoud. And they, though they played six matches, they failed to secure even a single victory. They lost five and they had one no result, which was rained out. And then in coming to the 2007 World Cup was probably one of their most you know, important World Cups. Even though they didn't win many vac- matches, but they actually won two very important matches. So in 2007 under Habibul Bashar, Uh, in the World Cup that was played in the West Indies, if you remember, or, uh, you know, they actually, um, in in South Africa, I meant, they won three matches, and they lost six. But as you can see, their percentage of wins is keep on growing. In the 2011 World Cup, partially they were led by Shakibul Hassan, who was then injured a bit later, and then Murshafei Murtazzar took over. But uh, having played seven matches, they won three and lost four. So the win percentages keep on increasing. So, if you look at 2007, they had 33% win uh, record. In 2007, it grew to 42. Uh, In 2015, when they played the World Cup, they were under uh, Murshafya Martaja's captaincy. They played there. They won three matches and lost two. So, the win percentage is now 60. So, and every time they played, even though they were playing in Australia and New Zealand, they played with such a lot of maturity that they pushed their opposition in every match. This is very clear. So when we look at their overall World Cup record, they have played 33 matches. They have won only 11 matches, but lost 20. But you can see this is a upswing. There is a certain upswing in the trend. And uh, if you look at their last you know, couple of matches in the World Cups, they nearly uh, forced New Zealand all the way up to the brink. And even their best performance, which was uh, them getting to the quarterfinal of the 2015 World Cup, they pushed mm-hmm. India really hard but then India won the match with uh, Rohit Sharma scoring a 137 I don't know if you remember this match Giri because there were some other uh, things happening off the pitch because um, I think uh, the then chief of ICC who was a Bangladeshi right Kamal Mustafa uh, took objection to Rohit Sharma getting dismissed of a full toss which they deemed to be a no ball but which was not given they decided Mm -hmm. and he resigned from his post so it had some on field ramifications that's by the way but if you come to the on-the-pitch performances, right, uh, their most successful player has been Shakibol Hassan. It has been yeah. undoubtedly him because yes. both the most number of wickets was 21 matches and 23 wickets by Shakibol Hassan, right? Mm-hmm. And the most number of runs is also 540. Again, Shakebal Hassan in 21 matches. The averages in both bowling and batting are not much to write home about. But then he's a talisman for them. He's been over the yeah. years, right? Now, um, their lowest total was 58. That was very unfortunate because they were playing at home at Dhaka against West Indies in <laughs> the World Cup. This was their lowest total, and their highest total was in the last World Cup. In the 2015 World Cup, they comfortably won against Scotland when they made 322 for four, right? Mm. So all this, when you look at it, you can see there's a clear upswing in their fortunes, and if you look at their performances in the last two years, you can see even though they're playing abroad or whether they're playing at home, they are always challenging their opposition and many times winning the matches abroad as well. So this shows when they play in England, they'll have something to say about it. They will not simply subside without playing really much, much of a, you know, much of a contest. They will be in the in the in the game, as far as I'm concerned, right? Mm-hmm. So now if we're to quickly look at their players, the some of the players that have been representing, you know, Bangladesh in the recent times, you could take our cue from which one of these players could be in the squad, right? So, I would probably quick take a quick look at the last ODI they have played so far. This is the third ODI of the New Zealand-Bangladesh uh, bilateral ODI series, mm-hmm. right? So, yep. Giri, what, what are your thoughts on this? What would you think is the Bangladesh um, team composition? I
0: think in that last match they played against uh, New Zealand, um, uh-huh. Shakibal Hasan was missing. He was out injured in that series. Uh, but apart from that, if I look at their squad... They have batsmen like Tamim Iqbal who opens for them, uh, Liton Das, Somi Sarkar, the all rounder, Mushfikur Rahim, uh, specialist batsman, Muhammadullah, of course, Sabir Rahman uh, who made a century that last match. Uh, and looking at bowlers, actually, uh, I see Mustafizur Rahman, Rubel Hussein, and uh, Mehdi Hassan. And of course, Murtaza. Mm-hmm. So I, it looks already balanced to me, but uh, with with the addition of Shakib Al Hasan, I think uh, it probably will look a lot stronger. Yeah. Uh, although I I cannot yet see the you know the the set of players who will actually make the squad uh, and the mm-hmm. the 15 players who will make the squad, but I think we will have an opportunity to evaluate this again uh, when they play the tri series I guess against uh, Ireland and West Indies later uh, exactly or in the month of May. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So you know May fifth they have a tri series beginning where they. have play with Ireland and West Indies in Ireland. So that will be very nice for them also as a preparatory thing, right? Mm. So uh, this would end on the 17th. The final would be on the 17th. And then we would get a good picture. But, you know, you have mentioned a good point. You already counted that these 11 were looking sort of very good, right? And mm-hmm. then you would add Al Hassan and maybe Tuskeen Ahmed, right? The fast with bowler. Base, yeah. this, mm-hmm. Right? So that would give them a very strong 13. Then maybe they have place for one additional... Uh, you know, Batchman, Najmul Hassan Chanto looks like a good guy, or Mossadegh Hussain, who sort of missed out in this tor- in this tournament against, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. New Zealand. I would sort of punt Mossadegh Hussain, because he's sort of up and coming, and they, he has a lot of pedigree, right? Mm-hmm. And they may choose a backup opener, because Litton Das, uh, though he opened with uh, Tami Mikbal. Tami Mikbal is a feature there. That's not going to yeah. change. But Liton Das is the keeper. So Litton Das yeah. is the uh, first choice keeper, but then he can also be like the main keeper, but you have Mushvikur Rahim. Sorry, they don't need another keeper there.
0: But what about this guy, Imrul Kayes?
1: Yes. Uh, so that, that's what now, I was right? coming I mean, about. So, uh, sorry,
0: yeah, I stole your
1: words. <laughs> no, no, it's not a problem. So Imrul Kayes or Shadman Islam, right? These uh-huh. two guys, Shadman yeah. Islam opens for them in tests. Yeah. But, you know, they may look at one backup opener. So Imrul Kais is mm. was indeed whom I was sort of thinking about. Or, mm. you know, Mohammed Mithun, mm. who sort of sometimes... Uh, plays in the middle order and probably is more comfortable, more feels more at home in the middle order. He was mm-hmm. not on this lineup mm-hmm. in the last one day, if you look at it. So, my opinion if you take this 11 that mm-hmm. played against uh, last match against New Zealand, you add uh, Shakibul Hassan, probably Mohammed mm-hmm. Mithun, and yes. uh, you know, I, I would actually bunt on taking Nasmal Hussain Shanto. Uh, sorry. Um, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Probably yeah. Shadman Islam. But uh, we'll have to okay. see. But I think if I were to look at it that way, they would probably go for Mossadegh Hussain as a 15th player. So, as I said, we have a 13 mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, you know, that 11, Shakib Al-Hassan and Tuskeen Ahmed. Then you have mm-hmm. one opener who would probably be Shadman Islam, but maybe Imrul Kayes, you know. Out of these two, one will get picked. Mm-hmm. And the last player on the squad would be either Mohammad Mithun or Mossadegh Hussain. This is my 15 for yeah. Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Sort of a 15 for Bangladesh in the World Cup. This is my, you know, yes. Yeah. 15. So, now, if you were to look at their uh, matches that they would play in the World Cup. So, this is a, you know, round-robin league 1992 World Cup format. We've mm-hmm. been discussing that every team will get nine matches for sure, right? Mm-hmm. So, when you look at it, and uh, maybe, you know, um, let me first ask you, Giri. <laughs> out of these matches let's go through it match by match and maybe i would like to hear how many matches bangladesh would win you think
0: okay mm-hmm. um so the first match they play is against uh, south africa mm-hmm. at the oval in london right, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, i would go with south africa uh, winning this match so you can um, you, you're going to put that on, okay uh, the next match they play is against uh, New Zealand, also the same ground, the Oval. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Zealand and Bangladesh, they had a good series last time round. I think New Zealand will uh, come up trumps here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next match is against England at uh, Rose Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, Cardiff. Um, I would give England every chance here of winning this game. Um, next match against Sri Lanka at Bristol. Uh, that's a bit of an iffy for me, looking at Sri Lanka's current form in the ODI cricket. It can mm-hmm. be, it can go either way. Uh, let's just say it goes with uh, Bangladesh. Bangladesh will come up uh, uh, with a victory there. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, we have Bangladesh playing against West Indies uh, mm-hmm. at the county ground. I don't know where that is, county ground. Do you know where that is?
1: I'm not sure, Durham? actually. Now, I'll have to see. It could be, because I don't see Durham here. It could be the county ground at Durham, indeed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah so uh that would be yeah west indies and bangladesh west indies is probably doing well i think with uh, chris kale also coming into their team now um west indies yeah i would go with west indies and um Trent bridge at Trent bridge they play against australia australia will uh, probably win that
1: mm-hmm.
0: um at AJs bowl uh they play against afghanistan this is going to be a cracker bangladesh against afghanistan
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i'm going to you know, I'm going to plump for uh, Afghanistan. Afghanistan will, I think, uh, do mm-hmm. well here. Um, the right. next one will be against India uh-huh. at Edgbaston, uh, Birmingham. Okay. Um, yeah, I think India should still be able to win this. They have, they're the number two side in the world, so uh, should be okay. And the fa- last match uh, that Bangladesh play again in this round robin format is against Pakistan, crackers. Mm-hmm another cracker and this will be at the lords so right home of cricket um it's it's it can go either way i think uh, on their day bangladesh can still uh, beat pakistan so i right. will i will go with bangladesh all right so that makes it uh, so how many did i get um so i think bangladesh against sri lanka i went for that
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um, bangladesh against pakistan right so those two were mine and Afghanistan, I said Afghanistan would win. So two for Bangladesh, two wins for Bangladesh.
1: All right. So if I were to look at this myself, so one small correction there, the county ground is Taunton. It's Somerset. Taunton.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, the place where uh, I think Ganguly made that 183.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, with uh, Rahul
0: Ravid, they put up a 300 plus partnership against uh, exactly. Sri Lanka.
1: It's <laughs> a smallish ground and uh, it's a batter, batter's paradise. But I think there's a moment at the beginning. So, but... You know what? Um, In one of the upcoming episodes, let us us also look at each of these grounds a bit more. I think we can build it up as we go along. Yeah. Yeah. So, my guess for Bangladesh, I'm going to be a bit harsh here. I'm (laughs) going to give them three wins. I'm going to be a bit harsh against Afghanistan. Oh, okay. Right? Mm -hmm. I don't see in the first three matches them winning a single match. Bangladesh versus Sri Lanka, I agree with you, let's say. Western Indies versus Bangladesh is on the knife's edge. Pakistan versus Bangladesh is on the knife's edge for me. So, Mm -hmm. between these two, I would say they would clinch one of those. So, that will give them three wins, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is my... But I don't see them really qualifying to the next round as well. So, I think we were discussing it already previously. I think the minimum requirement would be five wins to qualify for the next stage. Any team that clinches five wins would be more or less certain that they would qualify,
0: right? So,
1: with this in mind, I don't see Bangladesh qualifying for the knockouts. But I think... Uh, Let's ask our uh, listeners and our friends online, you know, I think Mm -hmm. we can start a poll and we can also confirm like what we did for Afghanistan, let's also make a poll and let's see what we have to see. But uh, just to mention that, on Twitter, Mm -hmm. about 40% of the people that voted on our polls felt that Afghanistan cannot uh, qualify beyond the knockouts and 60% of the people were hopeful Afghanistan may make it. So it's, you know, it's interesting. Let's see how Mm -hmm. it goes, right? i think we can also ask our friends online and maybe we get another opinion there all yeah, right there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, i think a comprehensive coverage of bangladesh chances right do you have anything to add giri uh,
0: no do they play again that's i'm just trying to look at their uh, itinerary if they play again uh, yeah they they of course play with uh, west indies and ireland yeah. in the month of may so in a, in a month and a half from now mm-hmm. uh, that should give them uh, a better View on who their 15, uh, you know, squad 15 should be. Um, so we can probably have a look at that when they do, when they play that series uh, in our future podcast and then see. Uh, yeah. So right. th- I think it's going to be interesting. Let's see. For now, I think uh, we're good.
1: We're good to go on to the next Now, topic. Mm-hmm. let's quickly look at the some of the other topics from the cricketing world outside, the, outside of the game or outside of the ground topics, right? So the first and the most important one was that, uh, you know, we were discussing that uh, Cricket West Indies uh, board elections were coming up and maybe, you know, Dave Cameron was uh, not in a good position to retain his presidency and that was exactly what happened. So Ricky Skerritt, was, who has been a manager with the West Indian cricket team for a while and also was a member of the CWI board, has been elected as the next president of the CWI. Right? Yeah. So I think there was this was time for winds of change for uh, uh, cricket West Indies, right? And uh, uh, Kishore shallow who was his running mate, has been elected as the vice president. So uh, I think we might see some, you know, change in uh, West Indian cricket where you know uh, Ricky Caret is a very good friend of many of the disenfranchised West Indian cricketers, be they Darren Sammy, mm-hmm. Kieran Pollard. Mm -hmm. So I think we may have to see, we may have to keep a careful eye on this how it develops. But maybe some of these disenfranchised players might be tempted back into the fold by this new president, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, some of the way he has handled the, you know, the completion of the Phil Simmons courtroom saga, which we had discussed in the previous episode, shows that you know he has personally apologized to Phil Simmons, is what we get to hear. So there's one thing that you know. You pay out the money that has been decided by the court, but a president of a cricket board actually apologizing personally, the personal touch really counts, right? I think this might be a good thing, uh, for really a good thing for West Indian cricket, and we really hope Ricky Skerritt can bring a lot of consistency and you know clarity to how these processes are happening, mm. right? And some of these disenfranchised players may come back, and it will be all the good for the West Indian team, right? Some yeah. of those real stalwarts of the one-day and T20 arena that have chosen to leave themselves out. The test team is Mm -hmm. shaping up really nicely under Jason Holder. Mm -hmm. But these short-format cricket teams could really uh, use the boost, right? Let's see how that goes. All right, that's the first point. The next one is that, well, I mean, uh, Malinga, who's sort of of in and out of the Sri Lankan team and had to prove his fitness, etc., etc., has now sort of indicated that he would like to continue playing well into 2020. He would like to represent Sri Lanka in the T20 World Cup in 2020. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And after that, he may consider retiring. But he has sort of hinted that uh, for ODIs, he might sort of retire after 2019 Mm -hmm. World Cup already. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Giri? Is this a force on the way? I think
0: he probably has uh, not a lot of ODI cricket left in him. We just saw what happened uh, with the previous tour uh, in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Right, so mm-hmm. they lost a lot of matches on the trot. Right, um, so it's probably out of necessity that he's in the team right now because I don't mm-hmm. think they have a good bowling lineup in right. the ODI squad. They they have good bowlers, of course, but like Kasun Rajita and uh, Suranga Lakmal. I don't I don't think he plays in the ODI squad, uh, or he's he does. Nah, he does when he's fit. But when um, he's fit, yeah. So yeah. so I think they need that stability and also that experience uh, which he brings with him, uh, Malinga, right. So. He's probably there as an S.H.D. like I said, uh, and him playing in the T20 World Cup in 2020, why not? I think he will be probably 37 by then, and he's he's not so bad in uh, IPL right now. If you look at what he did uh, mm. against uh, Bangalore, I think in that in that match, you know, that controversial no ball, exactly, it was quite good. And him and Boomra, they were bowling really well in that match, uh, kind of you know, master and the apprentice world uh, bowling
1: yeah
0: uh, and malinga is still good he may not have that much of pace like he had mm-hmm. in the past he, i don't think he can bowl consistently at 140 plus but he's there in the mid 130s and thereabouts so his uh, presence in the squad i think is a real uh, boost for the mm-hmm. sri lankan uh, uh, cricket team right um, but i think it's it's a fair uh, call from him that him choosing to retire after uh, the world cup odi world cup and then continue on to play the t20 world cup in 2020 which will be home conditions for him
1: right? Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. so i think that's a good call indeed yeah. well i mean look i i'm i'm all for it but we know that sometimes the Sri Lankan cricket board has its own ideas right so
0: I, i'm just hoping there won't be any knee-jerk decisions you know in the future uh-huh. like they do with for example chandimal he's in and out of the team you know right. we can go right. on about that but
1: Mm. Well, I mean, let's see how it goes. But I mean, all said and done, I think uh, Sri Lanka would do well to utilize this. I mean, let's be clear about it. He's a legend of the game as far as they're concerned, right? Mm. So they would do well to utilize him as much as possible. Look at how Mashafi Murtaza's injuries and his longevity has been handled by Bangladesh cricket board, mm. right? So mm. I think the Sri Lankan cricket board could take a leaf out of that yeah. right? and make sure they use Malinga in a similar manner so that his. Uh, contributions are maximized and for the best of betterment of the team right Mm, mm, so mm. this is something they could learn from it but okay that's a good point you have so the last point i would like to bring up is that well imran khan the prior prime minister of pakistan who's also the chief patron of pcb right has rejected the plan that has been put forward by pcb's uh you know the domestic cricket committee which has been read by uh, harun uh, harun rashid so they have sort of said this uh he's not happy about it he says mm-hmm. so just to go about it in a little bit more detail currently there are 16 teams that are participating in the highest level the keda azam trophy the first class trophy right so then uh, he asked the domestic uh, board to come up with a better plan for the upcoming series or the upcoming seasons and they came up with a plan where there were eight teams proposed right mm-hmm. and they were all regional teams and the departments so you have Pakistan Airlines, Pakistan International Airlines, you have Habib Bank and one more. So these three are the big, let's say, departments that have always been pumping in money into the Pakistan cricket. And they sort of keep the first class setup afloat there. So but Pakistan's, it looks like Imran Khan feels the Pakistan's domestic setup could take a different approach. It could take a leaf out of the. Australian approach where there are only six teams or even five teams, right? But a very strong competition between these six teams. So what he has suggested is instead of making eight teams, he's asked for six provisional team tournament where there'd be two teams from Punjab. One one is from Sindh, KPK, Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, Balochistan and Gilgit-Baltistan. So, and he would say concentrate on making that players earning their way into the league or earning their way into the teams rather than having more teams. So this is how Australia does it. I was listening to an article or I was listening to an interview by a former Queensland coach who said, you know, because Queensland and Victoria may not have a lot of players in the national team at any given point in time, but by giving good opposition or by making sure there are very tough oppositions in the local leagues and in the first class setup, they're making the Australian team stronger. This is probably the approach Imran Khan wants to follow as well, right? So it's, it's an interesting thought. So uh, because this guy has played in many leagues in his own time, he's played in Australia domestic cricket and so on, he probably brings a different outlook. But whether it's really relevant in the modern day, I don't know. Because, you know, WAPDA, the Habib Bank, and PIA, these people have been supporting Pakistan's domestic cricket for many, many decades already. So maybe a balance has to be found. Let's see how it goes. Maybe we'll hear a bit more about it in the upcoming episodes. Right? Right. All right. So having said all that, I think uh, we are near the end of this podcast. So uh, before we go into housekeeping, let's quickly look at the trivia question for this week. So the trivia question for this week is, who is the only centurion for Bangladesh at the Cricket ODI World Cups? We just focused on Bangladesh performances. So we have very carefully left out a name while we discussed quite a lot of these things. If you paid attention to whom we did not mention, you probably know who is the centurion of the Bangladeshi. Uh, among Bangladeshis in the cricket world Cup, right okay mm-hmm. that's the question so now uh, well guys we would always request that you you know leave us a feedback give us a good rating on whichever platform you follow us on you can follow us on our twitter handle or you can banter with us during live matches using our twitter handle it's at Amcha Pod. we have a nice facebook page we we always post some you know trivia questions there also some polls so do help us out do come there and give us your opinions Right, and we always, as we always request you, subscribe to our podcast. It shows whether our podcast is getting more and more, you know, likes out there, and more and more people that like us. And also talk about it with your cricket uh, friends. If you want to participate in one of our podcasts as a guest, you're always welcome. Write into us at gmail.com. Right. So with that, uh, well, as I always say, we've come to the end of the latest episode, this one, and I would say it's a goodbye from me.
0: And it's a goodbye from him. Goodbye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.